0: Well, good morning, 1130. Happy Memorial Day weekend. How are you doing today? Oh my goodness, look at you. This is awesome. You guys, listen, uh, for those of you here, if you're watching online or listening to the podcast, for those of you who are here, the fact that you showed up to church on a holiday weekend Proves to me that you are God's favorite. I don't I mean I don't I don't have a verse to back that up, but I just have a strong feeling. He loves you more than anyone else. Uh, I am I, I am so glad you're here. My name is Jarrett, and I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City. And I just I love when we gather together like this because uh, what you, you've done is you've carved out time. You said that you want to actually experience God, you want to hear from God, that He has something for your life, and I don't know that you will ever know how significant that that actually is. That's actually what we're talking about as we wrap up this series, Bless Rest. How do we carve out time? How do we make time for what actually matters most in our lives? If you missed last weekend, you missed out. It was an incredible conversation that we got to have with one of our mentors and friends, Ruth Haley Barton. She dropped more truth bombs in 30 minutes than I thought humanly possible. So if you miss, you can go back online or the podcast and catch up and you're going to want a pen and paper and like keep going back and back because it was a powerful time. What I want to do today is take what we talked about last week and make it as spiritually practical as possible so that we can actually experience what God has for each and every one of us. And that really is blessed rest. Now here's the deal. I, I want you to know this. I want you to look at this picture. This is a jar of water. Now, this is Chicago River water, so this is as clear as it's going to get. So you need to go with the metaphor here. This is as good, and I'll probably need to wash my hands after touching it. The point is, uh, this water is meant to represent your soul, that your soul is actually created by God to be clear, to be peaceful, to be present, to be still, to be alert, to be attentive to God. God made your soul as a sacred and holy space to meet with, experience, and hear from him. This is what it's supposed to look like. But if we were to be really honest, if I were to be really honest, this is not how my life often looks like. Maybe yours is the same. How many for us, your life feels at times like it is just a swirling and twirling kind of mess, that there is all kinds of things that keep your soul from actually hearing from and experiencing and being with God. All of your hurry and all of your worry, all of your passions and your priorities, all of your commitments and callings, good things and bad, can actually get in the way of your soul being what is meant to be, which is clear and at peace and at rest, regardless of what is actually happening all around you. And you wonder why, I wonder why it's so hard to hear from God or experience God. Could it be that your soul is not actually doing what God intended or created for it to do? And you know when life feels this way, when it feels swirling and twirling and all out of control, we have a little strategy that all of us employ in one way or another. Our belief is that if we just worked a little harder, then we'll be able to rest, I just got to get this one more batch of emails done and then you open it up and it just goes and just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I just got, if I could just work through tonight, I'm going to stay up till 1 a.m. working tonight. But if I can do that, then I'll be able to rest. And you know that strategy does not work, does it? Because as soon as you accomplish one thing, it's on to the next. And as soon as you have one achievement, then there's new opportunities. And so the cycle continues and continues and continues and it's so easy for our soul to look just like that. You ever feel that way in your life? I think it's because we live in a unique culture and moment where we are addicted to exhaustion. We are addicted to being exhausted, to running ourselves ragged, living wall to wall, bell to bell, because we simply just don't know how to actually rest. We don't know how to rest. And if that is you, you are not alone. Do you know that statistically that I've been fascinated this, this last year uh, with sleep and, and, and why I don't give myself the gift of sleep? It's like free. It's available to all of us. I don't do it enough. And so I've been reading and studying a lot about sleep and paying attention to how I sleep. Do you know that 43, some studies say 43%, some say over 50% of Americans say, admit that they don't actually get enough sleep every night every single night. I want you to look down the row right now. Half the people in your row probably didn't get enough sleep last night. I want you to keep watching them through the rest of the sermon. You keep them (laughs) awake. You keep them with us, all right? So that's significant. Why is that so significant? Because other studies have shown that less than five hours of sleep or staying awake for more than 16 hours a row actually has the same effect of being inebriated, that when you don't get enough sleep, it's like you're walking around the next day drunk, And some of y'all last night double-dipped on that statistic. (laughs) It's okay. I'm glad you made it here. Please note that you are at the 1130 gathering, but I'm glad that you are here. And it's not just that it kind of affects our productivity or effectiveness or efficiency. It can be fatal. In in fact, in our country, uh, annually, every year, there are 328,000 drowsy driving car accidents many of them a shocking amount of them fatal because people are just exhausted drive going about their life thinking they can live beyond their limits now i have not i've never fallen asleep while driving but i have i've done a few head tips before you know where you're so exhausted And I remember one time I was so exhausted. Gene and I were heading up to Wisconsin. We are actually headed up to to do Mark and Kelly's wedding. And we were coming through one of those small little towns um, heading up there. And so it was kind of slow and and bumper to bumper, like five miles an hour, right? Just real slow getting through this little town. Well, I was kind of doing a little bit of a head dip. I was so exhausted. I wasn't totally focused and paying attention. And I, I drove right into the car in front of us. Now, it wasn't, there was no damage, it wasn't bad, but it was enough that they felt it, I felt it, and then I was real alert. And so then they, they stopped the car, and they got out to come see the damage, rightfully so, and I'm getting out of the car, and the second I get out of the car, they stop looking at the damage, they look at me, and they go, Pastor Jarrett. <laughs> they were a part of the church that I was working at at the time. And so I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I was just praying. I was praying so hard. <laughs> Well, I was just in the spirit, and I just, can I pray for you right now? I mean, so I had no cover on that one. I had no cover on that one. It's serious, and it can, in fact, even be fatal. In fact, uh, one study found that 97% of Americans have at least one of the leading risk factors for fatigue, not just being tired, this is, this is where your body actually begins to shut down, that all of us are living on the edge of that on a regular basis. Doesn't that sound crazy to you? But here's the deal. We've made that exhausted. We've made that our new normal. That's just how we go about our days. In fact, Maybe you're familiar with the phrase, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Maybe you even have a coffee mug that says, I'll sleep when I'm dead. That's kind of like your model. Yeah, I'll get to sleep later. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Well, the truth is actually, it's our lack of rest that is actually killing us. It's robbing us. It's taking from us the life that God actually created you to live with him. And that's because I think a lot of us look at rest, real rest, true rest, we think of that like, oh, isn't that nice? It, that must be a luxury. We, don't, think about it for a second. We think of rest and really, truly shutting down as a luxury. I, don't, I can't do that. Would, oh, that's real nice. Isn't that nice for you that you get to take a whole day off to be with God? It must be nice. Oh, isn't it nice for you to intentionally take a nap? Wow, that's, that must be so nice. See, I'm a parent of little kids, so we gave up on sleep years ago. We think of it like a luxury. Oh, you don't understand my work. You don't understand the demands on me. I got to pay off all the student debt. I don't have time to rest. Must be nice for you, but I don't get to do that. Or I'm caring for aging parents. I don't get to actually have a break from all of this. We tend to view rest as a luxury, but all the data shows that rest is not a luxury, it is a necessity. It's actually critical for your well being because your body has limits. It does. Your brain has limits. Your days, your weeks have limits. And here's the truth that we gotta be honest about. You are not the exception to the rule. You're just not. I'm not the exception to the rule. And the reality is if we don't pay attention to this, if you don't incorporate rest into your life, you will be exhausted for the rest of your life. If you don't begin to intentionally incorporate real what we would call blessed rest, into your life, you will be exhausted for the rest of your life. And that is not how God created you to live. That's not the life he has for you. Your soul needs rest, whether you know it or not. And nobody knows this more about you than the God who made you, because he actually made you that way. As Ruth and I looked at last week, God made rest for you, and he made you For rest, to actually rest in him. In fact, there is a rhythm of rest woven all throughout the story of the Bible, going all the way back to the beginning. You don't need to grab a Bible, but at the very beginning of the story, like literally the beginning, in Genesis chapter 2, after God made everything out of nothing, the text actually tells us in Genesis 2, verse 2, that on the seventh day, when God had finished the work he had been doing, on the seventh day, he rested From all his work. Then, not only did God rest, he blessed. Then, God blessed the seventh day, and he actually made it holy, set apart, different from all the other days, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, this is just a quick quiz. You may be new to God or the Bible, all this, but I think you can answer this one. I think you can get this one right, okay? Did God actually need to rest? No, God did not need to rest. But what a good God he is that he modeled it to us and for us. Another question, does God have limits? Are there limits to God? No, there are no limits to God, but he did make you with limits. And what the creation story tells us is that God actually made you in his image. Now just pause on that before I finish the sentence, because I'm going to get to it like, you know, I'm going to drop the hammer in a second here, but just stay with me for a second. You're made in the image of God. That's a beautiful thing. In fact, I want you to look down the row again. Look down at the people sitting next to you. There's not a single person you're going to make eye contact with, like look at, look at right now, like in this room, outside this room, in your life. There's not a single person that doesn't bear a reflection of the image of God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You're made in the image of God. But you are not God. You are not God. And he actually made you with limits. He made you with a space, with room for rest with room to actually trust him. And this is something that we often forget and convince ourselves otherwise. But this is what happened, though. This is what we tend to believe, and this is what actually happened in the story of the Bible. In fact, it wouldn't be long if you were to continue to walk with the people of God through the Old Testament. What you would find is that they completely forgot about this blessed rest that God had invited them into. they totally forgotten. they totally abandoned it. And so God had to institute what should have been intuitive to them. And this is where the Ten Commandments come in. God gives us the Ten Commandments. You're familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? Don't lie. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not skip church on holiday weekends. Right? You know, these, I think that one's in there. I don't know. The point is, all the Ten Commandments, baked right into the middle of them, is this concept of rest. In fact, in Exodus 20, verse 8, it says this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, sacred, set apart. Remember what we just read in Genesis 2? God's made it holy and set apart. He says, don't forget that. To honor that, to remember that, to practice the Sabbath day. God gave this idea of blessed rest a name. He called it the Sabbath day. And that word Sabbath seems to have derived from an old Hebrew, ancient Hebrew verb, sabbat. And that verb sabbat actually means to stop, to cease and to keep. I love that. To stop, to cease, and to keep. Haven't you found that so much of your life, so many of your days and your weeks are given over to this thing and that, right? We give so much of ourselves away to our work and to our family and to our friends and to our bills and to our responsibilities, even to church, We give so much of our lives away to so many things, but what the Sabbath actually reminds us to do is to keep something for ourselves, to keep some space, to keep some time just for you, just for God, just for your soul to actually rest and recover and replenish and be restored and be renewed by God. In fact, this principle of rest, woven all throughout the Bible, actually comes with a promise. God says that there's a gift for you in and on the other side. Of rest. And that's where I, I want you to grab your Bible right now. And I want you to actually turn with me to Isaiah 58. So turn to Isaiah 58. If you have a Bible on your phone, you can open that up right now. If not, there should be a Solicity Bible uh, right under your seat or on your arm rest there. Grab the Solicity Bible and you can turn in that to page 605. Page 605 will get you to Isaiah 58. Now, where are we at in Isaiah? We're way past the Ten Commandments at this point. And the people of God were in a real particular place. They they had fallen from power and from prominence. They had lost their position in the world. They were defeated, literally. They were depleted. They were discouraged. And the prophet Isaiah is speaking the life of God back into the people of God because what had happened was they were exhausted. They were done. And they had forgotten God. They had forgotten the Sabbath. And you know, if you've been around here before, we say all the time, is that God is faithful, but we're forgetful. And they had forgotten this. And so God reminds them, Of not only this principle of Sabbath, but the promise that comes with it. I want us to read that together. And when I read, I'm going to pause uh, on a few words. When I pause on that word, I want you to say it like you mean it. Okay? Can we do that together? So say that next word like you mean it. So this is Isaiah 58. Let's start in verse 13. It says this: If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath. Now I love that that language. Just pause real quick. I love that language. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, that's because it's like so true of us, isn't it? We're so prone to wander, just to wander off from the way of God, just to wander into our own way or someone else's way. So you say, no, no, if you can just stay put in this principle, if you stay put in this idea of Sabbath, keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a what? If you call the Sabbath a Delight. delight, you might want to circle that. That's what it's actually all about. If you actually call and consider it a delight in the Lord's holy day, honorable. And if you honor it, I love it. It says again, by not going your own way, not just doing as you please, or speaking idle words, or posting another pic of you sipping rosé with your friends. If you honor this, then, here comes the promise, verse 14, then you will find your what? You will find your Joy. joy. Okay. That's how you're supposed to say it. So let's say it like the word actually means something. Then you will find your joy. joy. That's actually what is on the other side of rest, in the midst of rest for you. You will find your joy in the Lord. You'll actually find it in him and in rest. And he says, I'll cause you to ride in what? You will ride in triumph. That means that you're not a victim to your circumstances. Whatever may be going on around you, you can walk into your week with the assurance of knowing that God is with you and for you. You will walk in triumph, and he uses language here that they would understand more than we would, on the heights of the land, and feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. Then he closes with this, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In other words, y'all best listen. (laughs) The mouth of the Lord has spoken. This idea of, of Sabbath, of blessed rest, is actually an unbelievable spiritual gift given to each and every one of us from God. But this gift is not something he's going to force on you. He's not going to make you rest. What you have to choose to do is to re-gift that gift to yourself. You actually have to choose to receive this gift of rest and give that gift to yourself. To see your joy renewed, to see it as a delight, not a luxury, but a necessity that your soul actually finds rest in God. It's not about just having a day where you stop working. It's about having a day where you invite God to work on you. And you open yourself up and you pay attention and you get rid of all distractions. And you say, God, I'm here, I'm present, I'm available to you. That's the gift of this blessed rest. And for years, Jeannie and I have have. Uh, believed in the the practice, the principle of Sabbath. When we started this church, I mean in the very beginning, there were no like work days. Every day was like a work day, right? And so when we started this church, we said, okay, that that could be crazy making. We had little little ones. Our kids were little at the time. And so we said, well, we're going to just set these days aside, even, even though it didn't all make sense, even though we weren't even doing services, we're going to take Friday and Saturday as our Sabbath days. We're going to rest, get our family stuff done on Friday, and then we're just going to rest and chill and be with God. And we really believed in that principle, and we did the best that we could to honor that principle, but we would find ways to bend it. Because there was always an email that would come in, like, oh man, okay, we got to address this, you know, we got to make sure, because this thing, for this, to see this miracle become a, a movement of God, we got we to gotta give ourselves to it. There was always a volunteer that needed to be cared for, that something was going on in their life, or a drummer that canceled on Sunday morning right before we... So there was always something, there was always something for us. And we would would kind of justify, well, we're doing this for the church, we're doing this for God. And so we would let other things creep into our Sabbath, our rest with God. And then as this church began to to grow, it grew faster and, and it grew bigger than we even had imagined. And I remember we were at about... The third year, fourth year, uh, we needed to hire some more folks. It was just, we were ready to kind of do that. And so we had two big critical hires that we made. And we leaned into our old church and two people that we knew down there that we loved. And I went through a long process, a lot of work of interviewing them and hiring them and then transitioning, moving them up from Atlanta to Chicago. And we were so excited about the next chapter for our church. And little did we know, little did we see coming, that within about six months of both of them starting, they both actually left their positions at the church. This had never happened to us before. No one had left our staff yet. I didn't even know that was an option. You can leave? We had no idea. I just thought we'd all be together forever. And it was both for great reasons and it totally made sense. It just didn't work. And now all the work that we had done to get them here, now they were gone and we had to start over and we were fried. We were exhausted. I would say using Ruth's language last week, we were dangerously tired. Didn't have that language for it. In fact, I remember one day I was sitting down to work on a sermon like this and I don't know how long I was there, but 20, 30 minutes I kind of came to and I'd just been staring at a blank computer screen. I had no words, nothing in the well. And so Jean and I went to our elders. Thank God for the elders of this church. Thank God. And we said, we don't know what to do. We can't keep doing it like this. We're fried. And they were so wise and so kind to say, okay, time out. We're going to take a couple weeks for your family to pull away, to rest. And we called some old pastors of ours and went and stayed with them and had them minister and pastor to us. And we set a resolve at that moment, that we're not going to let ourselves get to that point anymore. And it initiated a couple amazing things. Our family break that we take every year, it initiated uh, us joining the Transforming Center where we heard from Ruth last week that she leads and God has done so much out of that. But I'm telling you, if I'm being really honest with you, I don't know that we would have chosen that had we not hit that wall. Because I think for many of us, not only do we see rest as a luxury, for lots and lots of us, we don't really rest until we have to until you're forced to, until some kind of crash or some kind of crisis backs you into a corner and you have no other options. The point of Sabbath rest is to keep you from that crash. It's to work in a regular rhythm with God that actually tends to your soul, that keeps you from actually hitting the wall. It deepens your dependence On God, it opens you up to learning to actually loving your limits, that you actually have limits, and it teaches you how to embrace them and to love them. And it teaches you something about trust that you just can't learn outside of rest. You can cognitively nod your head to trusting God, but there's something about rest that teaches us about real trust. And I think that's really what rest is, isn't it? It's just another word for Trust. That's all rest is. It's just another word for trust. I'm going to choose to trust God. I'm going to tru- choose to trust that he is enough, that he has enough for me, that he has enough for all the people I think can't make it without me. I'm going to choose to trust that he is enough. When I pull away for this day, I'm choosing to trust God is enough. I'm actually choosing to trust that my world will survive without me for 24 hours it will be okay. It'll keep on moving. And all the crazy will be waiting for you on the other side. (laughs) But you will have a different way of coming at it. Your soul will be at rest. It's choosing to trust that your limits are actually a gift and not a myth. I'm going to say that again because I think there's some folks that need to hear that. Your limits are a gift. They're not a myth. You have limits. You know all those people on social media that you follow that inspire you? You're so inspired by the way they live their life and all the vacations they take and their physique and all that kind of stuff, but you're secretly jealous of them. Do you know they have limits too? They actually have the same hours in their day that you do, same days in their week that you do. When you actually learn to embrace and accept and love your limits, it opens you up to a deeper level of trust with God. Rest is just choosing to trust that God actually wants to work in you while you stop working while you take a rest and a break from all your working. Isn't that, like when you think about that kind of rest and what God can do, doesn't that sound good? Don't you actually like want that? Your soul does. It desperately desires for you to actually receive this kind of rest so that you can actually be clear, open, present, and available to God. If you want that, like if you actually want to experience what God promises for you in the principle of blessed rest, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out your phone. I want to give you a little homework assignment. I want you to pull out your phone. All right, so everyone, go ahead and grab your phone or whatever it is you keep your calendar in. If you keep an old paper calendar, pull that out too. Respect, you keep it old school and we love that. If you keep your calendar in your head, I don't know how you do that. But... I want you to actually take out your phone and open no other apps but open up your calendar. This is not like a rhetorical exercise. Everyone go ahead and pull out your phone and just open up your calendar. Here's what I want you to do is you open up your calendar, pay attention to the emotion that you feel when you see this week. When you open up your calendar and you look at, I mean, I'm looking at mine, it is, it is full. There's a lot. What do you feel? What do you fear? What are you concerned about? Pay attention to that. And here's what I want you to do. If you really actually want to give your soul, the gift that God has given to you of rest, then I want you to pick a day this week and I want you to literally block it out right now in your calendar and all you have to do is put one word over all that whole day and that word is Sabbath. S-A-B-B-A-T-H in case you're wondering. <laughs> put it in, Sabbath. Now, here's the deal. Here's what's so fun. The day doesn't matter. Like, it, it's that you set it aside. A specific day doesn't matter. Those of you who are actually here right now this weekend, if you're listening online or to the podcast later, you're gonna have to figure this out on your own. God has given you a head start this week because tomorrow is Memorial Day. And lots of us don't have to work. Maybe you do, but if you don't have to work, you've already been given a head start on this homework assignment. And so maybe tomorrow is the day that you set aside and say, this is my Sabbath. I'm gonna actually truly practice the principle Of blessed rest and so you need to put it in your calendar right now or else you will not do it now I want to give you some notes you might want to jot these down in your calendar or somewhere where you can pay attention to because we're all going to be doing this together as a church throughout this week here's what you need to avoid on your Sabbath day okay for you to really truly have your soul available and attentive to God here's what you need to do no work on the Sabbath no work no like sneaking no creeping no work okay If I, if I just, I just need to kind of get this thing done. I know that we have a lot of entrepreneurs and solopreneurs, people who started their own businesses and all that kind of stuff. I get how it's always there. I get it. Can you just for one day, let it be no work on one day. Okay. No email, no email. Now, listen, that one may sound daunting. Let's be honest. Who loves email? Literally no one. So what you're doing is just giving your soul and what you actually want. Say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to shut it down for a day. And if you need to put an outgoing message in your email just to let people know, awesome. But can you actually like not open it for a whole day? What might actually happen? There used to be a time for some of us, those of us who are older, where we didn't open our email because there was no email, right? Let's live like it's the early 90s and let's <laughs> not do email for a day, okay? Can you do that? Next one, no social media. Ooh, last week last service, someone went, What? Alright, so no social media for a whole day. Because what that can be, honestly, is just another way of distracting yourself. And oftentimes it can just lead us to places of insecurity, jealousy, FOMO, whatever it may be. Can you just for a day do no social media? Here's the deal. Facebook will be just as much of a hot mess the next day when you come back as it was today. Your friends on Instagram will be okay without you for a day. If that makes you nervous and you need to, like the night before, post something on Instagram saying, taking a Sabbath day tomorrow, pray for me, fam, fine. (laughs) Whatever you need to do to let your people know that you're going to be away for a day, fine. Your business, your personal brand, it will be okay for a day. In fact, I would contend people will respect you more. To just say, I don't need this for a day. I'm going to shut it down for a day. In fact, if you want to go all the way in, here's what I'd recommend. No tech for a whole day. No tech. Just see if you can do that. No tech. No distractions. Now, what are you supposed to do then? Because <laughs> that's all we do. What do I do if I don't do those things? <laughs> couple notes. couple thoughts. Take a nap. When's the last time you actually took a real nap? And not like fell asleep at work. (laughs) A real nap. Take a nap. Read a book. Read a book you've been wanting to read for a while. If if possible, preferable, read a book about God. Read a book about life with God. Something that's going to nourish your soul. Go for a walk. Walk on the lakefront. Walk down the river. Walk somewhere where you're reminded of the sustaining, beautiful power of God, that this universe has really been okay long before you ever got here. It'll be okay for a day without you. Invite some friends over to share a meal. Have a meal with some friends, people that actually give you life. No obligation, no expectation. Just invite them into this with you. We've done all of that. Take another nap. Seriously, why not? Just go all in. Do whatever it is that will give your soul the most amount of rest that you can in a day. It's just a day, but you have no idea what God will do, how he'll meet with you, how he'll slow things down, how he'll help you see more clearly, how he'll give you that thing that you're actually aching for and longing for. Rest, trust in him. I love the way that uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, one of my favorite authors and someone who thinks and talks about God, the way that she describes this kind of day. Maybe it'll help you close your eyes and imagine. This is how she describes this kind of Sabbath day, this blessed rest day. This is what she says. She says, At least one day in every seven, pull off the road of your life and park the car in the garage. Close the door to the tool shed. Turn off the computer. Stay home. Not because you are sick, but because you are well. Talk someone you love into being well with you. Take a nap, a walk, an hour for lunch. Test the premise that you are worth more than you can produce. That even if you spent a whole day being good for nothing, you would still be precious in God's sight. And when you get anxious, because you are convinced that this is not so, remember that your own conviction is not required. This is actually a commandment. And your worth has already been established by God even when you are not working. This is the invitation that God has given us. He's given you to a blessed rest, to let your soul actually settle, to clear your schedule and open your heart to God, to delight in rest, To find your joy again in him. To follow not only the teachings, but the example of Jesus himself, who said to his followers, those sincere about knowing and following him, he said the invitation was this, come with me, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And I can't think of a a better moment for us as we're concluding this series, trying as best we can to follow the teaching and the life and the way of Jesus than to just simply come to the reality of Jesus, how this is all made possible to us through his death and his resurrection. And so what we want to do is just take a moment to remember him. We're going to do that through communion and then in a moment we'll respond in the closing song of worship. But I'm going to ask our amazing host team to come forward right now and they're going to pass out the elements of bread and the cup and here's all I want you to do. All I want you to do is just hold on to it. Once you get the bread, once you get the cup, just hold on. You don't need to do anything with it and I'm going to ask you to do it in kind of a spirit of reverence, respect for this moment and for those around you. Just hold on to the elements and as you hold them as they're tactile in your hands, let them be a little reminder, a spiritual wake-up call for you that this is what Jesus did. This is how he made a way for you and me, that the bread is actually to represent the body of Jesus. Just think about that for a second. God who has no limits became a human who did. What? He did that. He occupied the same space as us, same hours in a day, same days in a week. He became one of us. He knows whatever it is that you're facing, he knows, he knows And his body is a way of reminding us of how close he actually is to you. And the cup, a reminder of his blood, poured out a sacrifice, covering a covenant, only thing that can actually wash away sin, that can actually purify and cleanse your soul from the inside out. He said, that's what this cup does. It reminds you of my blood for you. So as the rest of us are receiving these elements, can you just take 30 seconds to take a big deep breath and just rest in the reality of Jesus. And He's made a way, it's already been done, the battle's been won. And all you need to do right now is receive. Let's rest for a second in the reality of Jesus. Bible says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed by one of his followers, one of his friends, it was actually a part of the plan all along. He knew that was coming. He knew what was ahead of him. He broke bread. He had at a table with his friends. He broke bread and he said, let this be a reminder to you. This bread is the symbol, a reminder of my body broken for you. So let's take the bread in remembrance of him. And in the same way he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you fully and freely. The only thing that can forgive your sin, make you whole and right and new with God. And every time you drink it, you are declaring the new covenant, the new agreement between you and God made possible through my death and resurrection. Let's take the cup in honor of him. And I wonder if you'd stand right now. I'd love to pray for you as we respond to the reality of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, the example of Jesus the invitation of Jesus right now. Would you open up your hands, open up your thoughts, your heart, open up your week to Jesus right now, and let me just pray for you. Jesus, thank you. We, How can we possibly even in this lifetime be able to grasp a concept of gratitude that would be enough to say thank you for who you are and for what you've done? Jesus, thank you that you learned to love your limits, knowing all that was ahead of you, all that was to come, you still took time to rest, to pause, to reflect, to let God speak into your soul. So Jesus, would you help us do the same? Help us to follow your lead. Thank you for the gift of rest, what's waiting for us in it and on the other side. Would you help us this week to actually do it, to choose to trust you, through the gift of rest. Jesus, we love you and we just want to pour out our hearts and our praise and our affection and our devotion on you because you are worthy more than anything in this world. You are worthy of it all. And so we do this in your honor, in your name, we pray. Amen.